from Undefeated Student Project to State Funds. The START podcast is starting out its second season with strategy member and spokesperson of the Tomb Hyperloop project, Anna Garcia. We will get to know more about the project and technology behind it, her personal motivation to contribute to the project, its entrepreneurial journey from founding until today, and the future challenges the team is tackling. So my name is Anna Garcia. I'm originally from Mexico. I studied um, nanotechnology engineering. I graduated some three or four years ago. And then I came to Munich to study the master's in, in management. So this is a nice master's that is focused for engineers and scientists that want to understand a little bit more of the business aspect. And that's why I moved to Munich. And almost a month after I moved into Munich, trying to understand the landscape of of Munich um, University and students, I found out about Tum Hyperloop, and that's why I joined. And I've been in the team for almost three years. First, as part of the business team, then I founded the business case sub team, and now I'm writing my thesis in the same sub team. All right, and can you perhaps also briefly introduce what is the project about? Sure. So, um, Tum Hyperloop is a team that was founded. Um, some years ago, and the idea was to create prototypes to bring to the competition that Elon Musk established for um, Hyperloop pods. So we founded it in 2017, and we were able to compete in four editions of the competition. The idea was that uh, students from all around the world were able to build a pod and then bring it to the U.S., and to the SpaceX headquarters where they had built a tube with like a vacuum tube. And um, there we were able to bring the pod and then compete to see which one, which university could bring the fastest pod. And um, yes, we were actually in the four editions, the university that had the fastest pod winning the Hyperloop pod competition for four times. And that's how it started. Now we're actually not focusing on the competition anymore. We're actually focusing on the full scale um, yeah, concept of the hyperloop. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely going to come back to the to the future project here as well. But first of all, also from from my side, when I came to Munich uh, last year, uh, actually this uh, the to hyperloop project was also one of the things where I thought, wow, this is a cool university to study in, and it's just amazing what they do. And um, I mean, also just getting to know the people here. And uh, what I'm really curious about is how are you structured and how many people are you working with together for the entire project. It depends a lot. Every uh, edition was different. And of course, in the first edition of the competition back in 2017, the team was smaller. Um, but as the team was growing and we also needed more expertise and we also needed to be yeah, better to be able to provide improvements on the pods for each edition of the competition, we grew. So for example, for the last competition, I think we were about 50 students, I think. Um, but now, because it's not just about bringing a small pod prototype, we're actually creating a full-scale uh, prototype. We are growing a lot in the team. The team is now around 80 to 90 students. We also have advisors, which are um, uh, students that were part in previous um, editions of the competition, but now they're not able to provide so much of their time, but they can still give us advice. And we also have... PhD students that are on board with the project. So it's a, a big 
Um, it's, I would say, counting all of the students and all of the advisors, and we're more than 100 people in the team. Oh. So it's almost like a company structure that you already that you already did. It's it's crazy, yes, because it's it all started very small, very like student organized. But as we were growing, then also the university started giving us a lot of expertise, and also with this that I mentioned with the PhDs and professors started going on board, and that's how it all started growing onto what it is right now. Yes. <laughs> cool. And how many people are working full time? Are there any? Um, I think the goal is around 10 people. I, right now, I'm not sure how many we have working full-time, but as I said, like these are people that are employed by the Technical University of Munich, and they are just um, working on the project as part of the tomb. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, maybe as a short background, because I mean, people might know what, uh, or have heard about the Hyperloop project. Um, can you briefly explain the technology behind it? Or like, like not full depth detail, but just a brief overview of how this thing <laughs> sure. works. Sure. So the technology of the Hyperloop was, at least the concept of the Hyperloop was introduced in 2013 by Elon Musk. And the idea was to bring a mode of transport that was cheaper, faster, safer, and more sustainable than the other available modes of transport. So, for example, the plane, the train, uh, the buses, the cars, and so on. And how it is and how it works, it's that it's a tube, that it's in partial vacuum. Um, and then there are pods that can travel inside the tube with um, magnetic levitation and propulsion. And that this helps to improve the air resistance and the drag so that actually the pods can travel at higher speeds. The goal is that it can reach more than a thousand kilometers per hour. And students are developing this. It's super fascinating. <laughs> I mean, if, even with all the support and expertise from the side of university or industry, I mean, students are still the driving factor that make the entire thing work. That's, that's true. I mean, there are companies out there that are focusing on this. But I believe that the work that students have done for this, so through prototypes and then through student organizations building full-scale ideas and test tracks and so on, has been a lot of the drive of this technology to actually happen. I think it's also interesting to hear what are your main competitors in the world? Are there any companies who are also producing the same thing? So I don't know if I would call these companies our competitors, because right now we are a research team. So what we're doing is trying to understand the feasibility. So I think that uh, it's, it's, it's super crazy. I would call it more like an, an, an ecosystem. So I think the companies are just part of this ecosystem. And then all the other research facilities and all of the other companies that maybe are not working directly with Hyperloop, but also supporting with expertise and technology and knowledge. But yeah, so for example, in Europe, there are a few, and some of them actually started from student teams. Uh, these student teams are like, okay, this is super cool. We can actually make this uh, like a business case. And for example, um, Hard, it's called H uh, Hard. It's like a company from the Netherlands. And they started from the student team called Delft, Delft uh, Hyperloop. And the other one is called Celeros. They are from Valencia, from Spain. And they also uh, started from the student team of the Valencia Hyperloop. Okay. And what do you think about Hyperloop One? Hyperloop One, they're also really cool. They're in um, they're in the, in the United States and they're backed up by Richard Branson. 
So uh, Virgin, they're actually now called Virgin Hyperloop One. And they are the ones that are also maybe, no, I don't know if I want to compare them this way, but they're very far, far away technologically. They also have already several prototypes. They have several um, test tracks. The only difference is that they don't have such an active role in Europe. They're rather in the United States and also in other countries um, that are growing, like India. But in the in the in Europe, I think that they are not so strong in this environment in this ecosystem that I, I was mentioning. Yeah, yeah. because okay. I, I I was uh, I have mentioned Hyperloop One because I think six months ago, half a year ago, I saw on LinkedIn that they have successfully started uh like the levitation process so they have already tested it successfully so it's kind of interesting how far technology already gone yeah i, I for sure i think that they are one of the biggest uh, that i think that they are the ones further in the technology but uh i think that they've seen that europe is already a very crowded ecosystem with a lot of competitors i think um i have somewhere like a bench there are around I don't know, maybe five or six companies dedicated to Hyperloop in Europe. And that's why I believe that uh, these ones, even though they're the further technologically advanced company, the Hyperloop One, Virgin Hyperloop One, they're maybe focusing on other regions and not in Europe. So. Maybe also focusing on the technology, especially thinking that students are building this, meaning you've collected the technology experience over four years now and you want to go for a full-scale product now. Um, how much of the knowledge which you already collected in the last four years can you continue applying on the new technology? And also how many people are available that worked from beginning to end that are still contributing? So when we were building the prototypes for the competition, um, not 100% of the technology that was used for these prototypes was scalable for the full-scale concept that we had. But what was really nice is that in parallel to the competition, we were already creating smaller prototypes of our concept. Um, so it was not just about let's see which uh, like to go super fast, but to actually improve the irritation cost concept, the propulsion um, concepts. And these smaller prototypes were actually the drive for us to bring a full scale prototype to life. So I would say, so in the team for the last competition and also for the third competition, we had two sub-teams, let's say. So one was the research sub-team and one was a competition sub-team. And this competition sub-team actually was the ones that brought the most knowledge into what we're doing right now. And I would say then all of this knowledge was 100% used to, to, uh, for the full-scale concept. And for the people, as I said, many of them remained as advisors because many of them graduated or many of them had to move on to a different stage of their lives. Um, but at least uh, most of the people that are right now working full time and with for the university are were there since the beginning or have been there since the yeah, since the start kind of. Yeah, so that's really lucky that that you can still access all this all this knowledge from the past. That's really cool. It's super nice, yeah, because it's just somehow the knowledge keeps on building. And if it was not because of maybe the competitions and then the research team and then the support from the university and so on, we wouldn't be able to be where we are right now, um, having so much support from the government and so much support from the students and the university and so on. So it's all for sure a process. Mm -hmm. 
And for example, like looking at all of these immense um, amount of like work that you put into this uh, project, there should be something personal about this project. I mean, what is the most motivational part for you about this project? Why have you personally joined, joined the Hyperloop team? Like, yeah. So it, it depends. So for me, the first and the most initial drive when I joined was um, to be part of something in Germany. As an international student, you come and you arrive and you just know that there are so much there is so much going on, but you just want to belong, I would say. And I joined the Hyperloop because I wanted to be with people with like similar mindset that were also working on applying technology. Um, so this was the first idea, just being part of something big. And then, of course, the competition was great. And it was some, something that really um, motivated me to be part of the team because we were going to go to the U.S. and meet Elon Musk. And so that one was, of course, one big drive. But when we decided that the competition was not going to be there, um, and instead we were going to focus on the full scale, I think that was also a great motivation for me, and I hope that also for many of the students, to know that, okay, maybe we're not traveling to the U.S. anymore, but we are actually bringing something to reality that maybe other student teams have not done before, and maybe even some companies have not been able to do before. So I think this is the, the greatest motivation, belonging to something, and being able to build something that has not been built before. Yeah, 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 that's true. Has your engagement developed over uh, in the team over the time? So maybe in the beginning was more of a look around phase. In the end, you thought, okay, I'm going to do this full time now. Or how, what was your your let's say uh, walkthrough in the team or your experience? So I started like just having a lot of fun. So I just like I joined the team and I was trying to understand the German working culture and trying to understand okay. Um, how is uh, like how is the difference between a student team here and a student team in, the, in Mexico? So for me, it was just a lot about learning and having fun. And at some point, um, I became the business case sub team lead, and then it became also a lot about having responsibility. So just actually being the head of a team and making sure that a project is done, that the results are presented, and that became also like a super big step and. I, I guess this the learnings of being the, in the head of a sub team are also what motivated me a lot. Like knowing that you have to work on a lot of soft skills, but also learn a lot of hard skills on, for example, market developing, economics and financials. And I think at overall the learnings are what have been yeah, like pushing me forward the most, knowing that in every step of the journey, even if it was at the beginning that it was a bit more, um, not informal, but a bit more relaxed. And until this point, both of them have been a lot about how can I learn the most out of the experiences. And like, how does your routine look like in the project? I mean, what are your typical tasks that you do? Yeah. It, it depends, of course, about every sub team because every sub team has different dynamics. Um, every sub team, for example, they have different ways of reporting. They have different ways of having meetings. Um, in my sub team, in the business case sub team, we try to work in sprints. We call well, it's that this agile method of working. We call we work in sprints of two weeks, um, and in each sprint, we work with OKRs. So we're mixing a little bit here different methods, and that's the cool thing about the team that we're able to be super. Um, agile, but also innovative with how we want to work. And what we do is that every beginning of every sprint, we decide 
what are the um, objectives and the results that we want to reach. And um, of course, they all have to be guided towards a bigger mutual goal of the team and of the sub-team as well. And yeah, so in this two-week sprint, we just dedicate all of our efforts. It, it depends on the goal of each person and also the availability. Some weeks, um, some sprints, maybe I was working 20 hours per week. Some weeks, maybe some sprints, maybe less because of the, um, I don't know if we have exams. Of course, you cannot dedicate as much. So, and yes, and then after two weeks, we would meet, present our results, and then together align on what we were going to work on for the next two weeks. Well, yeah, yeah, interesting. You talked before you talked about you uh, the differences or that you wanted to learn about the difference between the uh, work culture in Mexico uh, for the student teams and also in Germany. So I would be curious, what is the insight or what is your uh, opinion on that? What did you figure out about it? I, I'd never heard about working in sprints. I'd never heard about OKRs and I'd never heard about, like, I guess <laughs> in, in student teams in Mexico, it was um, different because it was, um, I mean, we had, I don't know. I, I think, I think the way of working here, I found it way more structured because in Mexico, how we did it in some student teams that I was part of was more, um, let's try to do something and let's work together for this. But we never talked about, let's do this with OKRs or with sprints. I don't know. I'm sure that in Mexico, there's always, there's also this, I mean, it's a world known methodologies, but here I just found it super structured and super clear and everyone, um, yeah, was able to also establish this methodology very easily and adapt to it. So, yeah. What was your drive in the end to say that you actually want to take over the lead? Of the of the business strategy part, so um, mean you probably didn't enter the team as a lead, but somehow developed this feel like I want to take responsibility. This happened because when we were working on the prototype for the competition, um, that we were like the this um, team with a lot of students, but most of the students were actually working on the technology side. So there was a lot of people working on the propulsion and the levitation, which I think is very important. But as well as developing the technology, I believe that developing the business has to be, um, has to have almost the same level of importance. Because if you don't understand what is the business case of a technology and you don't develop it parallelly, then the chances of failure are also pretty big. And um, in a team with a lot of engineers and with a lot of um, uh, yeah, technology people, for me, it was also very important to show them how the business side also has great importance. And yeah, I think that's that's when the drive came to try to defend this business side because yeah, of course I'm also an engineer, but I also love the business side and I also love this part. So when I realized, I just felt some type of responsibility to show um, and demonstrate that it was important. So the first year um, after I founded the Business Case Up team, it was a lot about demonstrating how having a business thinking inside the team was also important. And I think now it's super clear inside the team that like they're supporting the business people a lot. And now, yeah, and now actually our team is pretty, pretty, pretty important because we are the ones also developing this business case that we're afterwards showing to the university, um, the, the, the government, and for example, uh, to um, the, 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 
Soda, soda. I'm super bad at pronouncing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, even regarding your background, it's it's amazing. You came from nanotechnology, as you said, and just continued with business and also focus on the business part. So, so only I mean you do Tumbe VL, which also includes the the tech, uh, technical part in some sense. Mm, just to correct, it's not Tumbe VL. It's called Masters in Management. So this ah, one. Sorry technology because i assume that we already know the technology side and it's just about business okay so <laughs> why the business part i mean you have this big background but what did drove you to more of this big picture thank you um that goes back to when i was still in mexico when i was finishing my bachelor's in nanotechnology uh i was really into the application of the science And one time I remember a professor coming to me and saying, hey, we have some nanoparticles, but they're asking us if we can participate in an entrepreneurship contest in this. And for this entrepreneurship contest, we needed to develop a business plan and we needed to understand what was the market size for it, what would be the value proposition, for example. And um, then this is how we noticed, or how I noticed that to be able to apply the technology, you had to also have some knowledge on business development and that's how I realized okay this is where I would like to belong this is my passion this part of um, technology transfer but I felt that I really needed some more skills on the business side and that's how I came to Munich and that's where I feel that my position has been in the Hyperloop team this technology transfer side of things. Very fascinating. I think it's interesting. Is it actually harder to create some nanoparticles or to create a business case? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. Um, I I found, yeah, I found the, the both parts to be really hard. But the business case, when you had no knowledge of technology of, of business, I think that one was also really hard. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I think it's yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I was just saying, as you already went into this direction of, of uh, entrepreneurship, I mean, this is also what uh, what the organizer, what starters mainly about, and also what uh, what we are curious about is, um, I mean, even being part of a project like this, you, you have a lot of flexibility, a lot of creativity, especially in the areas that you, that you are in. So um, talking from an entrepreneurial perspective, what are the... Uh, What are the things that uh, engage you in uh, in Hyperloop, or what is what is the everyday thing that you can implement or do your own thing in the project? Mm. So, in our sub team, in the business case sub team, we have had like a lot of flexibility because it was it has been about okay, the technology people give us what the technology is, so they tell us this is our concept and this is um, maybe I don't know this is the idea that we have. So these are the maximum speeds that we would like to reach. This is the ideal distances that we would like to cover. And with that, they tell us, do whatever you want. And I feel that that's part of the entrepreneurship side. Um, being able to create something that adds value to, to society with that technology that is developed. And so with that, we have been able to work a lot with, for example, business models or feasibility studies, working with different routes. In Germany, we have analyzed different routes, for example, Munich to Frankfurt, Munich to Berlin. And it's all about us having a lot of initiative because 
it's not that I think I think this happens a lot in entrepreneurship. It's not that someone, a boss comes and tells you, do this and this and this, analyze this route. It's rather, okay, how do we make the most out of this technology without having like without anyone having done before? And this initiative is what really drives the whole team and it really drives things to happen. When somebody, it doesn't have to be one of the leads of the team. It has, to, it can be one of the students that says, hey, um, I think actually Munich to Berlin is not the most interesting route. How about we look at Munich to Frankfurt? And that's when we realize that actually maybe the potential of a route uh, to Frankfurt is greater because of, for example, the international nature of the points and the industry growth. So I, I just think that um, this is what really is nice about entrepreneurship and innovation inside a team, that the um, initiative has to come from within and the flexibility of actually bringing things to reality also um, gives a lot of potential to, yeah, to, to ideate. The true startup spirit that is called, right? Yeah. Exactly. But inside, like, um, it's, it's interesting because it is a startup ex experience inside a student team that is also like worked with the university so it's it's really nice and it's some, somehow um different than i than maybe others would leave it through but it's 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 also part of the startup um ecosystem i would say it's also this always this philosophical definition when is somebody an entrepreneur what is a startup Some say, okay, you just do an organization in a high-risk environment, but in the end, in the end, you are an entrepreneur in the, in the things that you do. And I uh, mean, especially as a, as a team lead, it's not only about building a project or a goal in the end, but also managing and keeping the team together. So um, how did you walk through this process? First of all, when you got the role as the, as the sub-team lead, um, first uh, to get the right people in the team, but also in the end to, to, um, to foster this team together. So that also goes a little bit with the definition of like what is leadership and what is a good leader and so on. And <laughs> I, I think that what I've been trying to do as a, uh, when, yeah, when the team started was to take the best experiences that I've had with good leaders and then try to also implement it on myself. And something that I really like is someone that is not just, as I just mentioned, just establishing what has to be done without giving any flexibility to the whole team. And um, that's why also when we, when I started, um, yeah, recruiting for the team, one of my main criteria was that it had to be also people that had a lot of initiative and creativity, because the idea is that, uh, as I said, the innovation comes from within the team. And we recruited a lot of like, people that had already been working with business plans. We recruited people that had also already worked with setting up their own startup. And uh, also diversity was super important. So we, for example, inside the sub team, we had a civil engineer, but we also had someone that was working in Tumbeville, uh, was studying Tumbeville. So the idea, and also from different countries, we had someone from Brazil, someone from Spain, someone from Germany. The idea was that, um, understanding so many different perspectives and then bringing them together, you can create a lot of value and you can also, um, yeah, create ideas that maybe had, would not have been able to be done in a different environment. And exactly, so that's once the team was created and once we had in mind, okay, what is our main goal? 
it was also a lot about, okay, let's sit down together in our meetings and try to understand. We had to do a lot of workshops to do um, understand our goal, to define our vision, to define how we want to be seen inside the team, how we want to be seen um, outside of the team. And that's how it's been for me. I think for me, the, the most important part of building the team was that it was not my team. It was like our team. So we all put a lot into it to make it the business case something that we wanted to make it. I mean, having this approach from past experience from best leaders, I mean, it's it's the best thing you can do in the end, I believe. And I mean, in the end, I believe it, it's working out for you as well. I, I think it's, yeah, it's important to learn from past mistakes, even if it's not your own mistakes. I think if, yeah, if you don't take learnings from the past, then it's really hard to improve for in the future. So I, and, and I think, I think the team is really good now. Shout out to the team. Shout out, <laughs> Shout out to the team. <laughs> I think, I think it's, since we're speaking about the team, I think it's also interesting. What can you like say or count? What are the main challenges like challenges that you are currently having or like had in the past that you successfully overcame? Mm -hmm. um, maybe one of the big challenges that has been happening when we had this transition between um, being the the, the um, being being the competition team and now becoming like a research initi initiative was that we we were trying to understand what could be a good motivation for students to dedicate their time into Hyperloop. Because you, I mean, you might know that if you see the motivation of going to the US and meeting Elon Musk might be different. So trying to change this perspective for the students to see, okay, we're not going to go to the US, but we're still making something great. And you're still gonna learn a lot because we're gonna have a lot of contact with the industry, with the research, with other students. And I think this change of expectations has been a little bit hard, but I don't know, transparency and also a lot of work from inside of the team, a lot of the, 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 the students and also um, we have a team lead that also worked a lot into making um, this, the student team be really motivated and showing them what was the gains. That was uh, how we overcame it. But I would say, yes, the transition between the competition team and the research team um, was a bit complicated at first. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. can understand it. Yeah. Oh, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I could totally understand it because if you if you see a motivation that you go to US and you meet Elon Musk is of course different. And but I I, I still think that the main if you if you could say something like a advantage of being in Tomb Hyperloop is about the conduct of industry, like you said, because you get a lot of useful contacts and also networking plays a huge role in, 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 in such student team, right? Exactly. And just having um, the opportunity to share with other students that might be interested in similar things than you are. So just being part of it has been some, yeah, this, this motivation that you're talking about is something that we've been trying to transmit a lot to them so that they see that there are more advantages than just going to the US and meeting Elon Musk. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big advantage. But <laughs> I mean, 
talking about the other teams as well, are, are you in how's the contact between the teams? Where is there exchange on the events that uh, okay, you exchange knowledge? Is this highly competitive or are you allowed to have beer with the others? Or is there a risk that you tell the company secrets or stuff? But I, I, I don't know how is this working. We're, we're a lot in touch with other teams. We feel it's really important to maintain this ecosystem, as I mentioned in the beginning, because it, the, without cooperation and without the um, knowledge transfer between teams, I think it's also really hard. What Back in the competition, of course, we had to be careful with what we shared um, and how we, I don't know, how we related to them because it was a competition, right? But now that it's not so much about the competition, it's just about everyone trying to bring as much, much knowledge to the table, there has been a lot of exchanges. So we had a, a, a congress in the team organized like a, a conference and several student teams from all around the world and also Europe uh, presented in the conference. And then Switzerland also had a conference and we as Tum Hyperloop came to present. So for us, it's really important to maintain connected um, through different Uh, ideas. Of course, for example, recently there was a European Hyperloop Week in Valencia and a lot of student teams came to present their advances, but this had a lot of more focus into smaller prototypes. And since we're already focusing into bigger prototypes, we were not part of it, but we're still trying to be part of the ecosystem somehow through cooperation, talks, research, and we, we really try to, to stay involved. Especially having this transition in the large-scale project, it's also a cool transition to maybe maybe the, the last part of the of the interviews, which is the, the future projects or the, the things that you're working on right now. So, most of the people they know about the the competitions because there are also videos on the internet or YouTube which you can check. But can you give a brief dis description of what you're currently working on? What what is the goal and timeline that you have? What, what you currently have? Yeah. So we recently released kind of like a big announcement of what is our, our, our future at Tum Hyperloop. And it's a program where we are developing a test track of 24 meters long and where it's a tube and inside the tube, we can have already pots that can demonstrate the technology of levitation um, and propulsion through magnetization. And this um, prototype and this test track is going to be in Ottobrunn in the new faculty of aerospace and geodesy. And exactly, the idea is that by next year, um, we have the release of this test track and we can already test our pods and our prototype. So yeah, this is what we're working on and we are supported by the university, also by the government. And yeah, hopefully we can continue bringing forward the concept of the Hyperloop and continue testing and showing that it's It's, it can happen and that it can be a reality. And of course, parallel to this, we're also working on understanding the commercial and economic feasibility, and we're delivering some feasibility studies in Europe and also trying to understand which is a strategy for a successful um, entry to the European market. So there's a lot going on in the team. Mm, perhaps like last question, if you would allow, I think, most of the listeners would be interested about money, the most spicy topic. So <laughs> I think it's quite interesting. How did you fundraise money? Because I think for Hyperloop technology, as I back in the days uh, tried to analyze it, it was, it was pretty hard to fundraise because the technology is not about huge multiplicators and you get back the money only in 50 years. So was it hard? And how did the fundraise process like went? 
uh, I'll say it for the tomb hyperloop and maybe I'll give an, a few insights of how it would be for like companies. But for tomb hyperloop, how we did it was through sponsorship for the competitions. The idea was to um, talk with different industry partners and get them on board because they knew that first of all, they could have uh, they could gain a lot of expertise and well knowledge on the Hyperloop status. They could also appear in our pod, for example, when we would go to the US for the competition. Um, and they also knew that they could get in touch with students. So for them, it was interesting to yeah, be in touch with the talents, if you would say so. <laughs> and um, <laughs> how, how it happens now is that um, the government of, of, uh, of Bavaria knew how important it is to also understand the status of um, of the transportation innovation and mobility innovation, and they also wanted to be on board. So it's just been a lot of trying to engage industry partners, trying to engage also university and trying to engage government and put them inside of this ecosystem that I'm talking about. So it's been a lot of talks and collaboration and to be honest, also proving in the past four years that we were able to build prototypes that could win competitions also gave us a lot of credibility for um, industry partners uh, to jump on board and help us. Um, but yes, uh, investment in the Hyperloop is complicated because of how, um, yeah, it has to be a big, big, big investment. And for this government has to be on board, not only companies and private and public um, investment organizations. That sounds um, maybe a last question uh, for for the closure for the uh, for the audience as well. Uh, from your first experience, I mean, most of the people that will listen to this podcast have some sort of a connection to the entrepreneurial area and of thinking about projects that they want to work on and want to execute finally that they've been thinking about for years. What is one thing that you would say from your life they have to know to be able to have a higher chance of success in the end of the run? I think that whatever you decide to do, it has to be something that you're passionate about. Because I believe then that gives you so much possibility of investing time, investing money, investing nights of not sleeping. So if you're passionate about that, like whatever topic it is, whatever um, idea that you have, it has to be something that you really are willing to dedicate a lot of effort. And usually that's something that you're passionate on. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you a lot for your time, Anna, and for your dedication and your energy that you showed in this podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you for inviting me. Thanks for, for the time and for the questions. And if anyone wants to hear more about Hyperloop and what we are doing at TUM, just join us at tumhyperloop.de and also in our social media. We're also happy to receive emails and answer questions. So, yeah, happy to have been here and happy to talk more about what I'm doing and what we're doing at Tom Hyperloop.